How many are blessed? You know, that worship. Just uh, sometimes I feel like, you know, I probably shouldn't get up to speak. The worship is said at all, but then I guess I should get up and speak. So that's why I'm up here right now, because I feel like uh, God would have me say something. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Bill Walker, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church. And I want to welcome you, but I want to welcome you especially to The Good Life. This is a series that we're doing, an expository series, out of something called the Sermon on the Mount. It, is a, it has been called the greatest message ever preached by the greatest person who has ever lived. His name is Jesus, the Christ of God. And what Jesus does in just under 2,400 words in our ESV Bibles, in a speech that took only about 18 minutes to give, is that he tells us what it means to live in this world that he created as his created people. So he tells us the best way to live our lives in this world today. And it is by living the good life. And to summarize, just in a little simple phrase, the good life is a life of following Jesus in loving obedience and doing good out of a heart that is becoming good in him. It is the good life. Now, it is not the easy life. Maybe you came in here today and you were thinking, oh, I hope he gives me five easy steps to having a blessed life. I'm afraid that's not what we're going to do. So if that was your expectation, I'll give you a chance to get up and leave right now. Uh, because we're not talking about the easy life. We're talking about the good life, which is not an easy life, but it is the best life you can live this side of heaven, a life of meaning, a life of purpose, and a life with impact that impacts here all the way into eternity. With that in mind, please take your Bibles and join me today in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, as we continue this journey through the Sermon on the Mount. So last week when we were together, uh, we actually finished up this section that I entitled The Interior of the Good Life. The Interior of the Good Life. And it is that special nurturing of this holy habits so that we can know the Father in an intimate way. He is called our Father. Actually, the word there is Abba. It is Daddy God. And the beauty of the, the intimacy of the relationship is to be realized through certain practices that we build into our lives. Now, if we're ever going to see the transformation of our character, it's not going to happen through direct effort alone. It is also going to happen indirectly as we consistently connect and meet and grow in our relationship with God the Father. So let me just quickly reiterate what those are, and then we're going to push forward. I'm doing this because these things are connected. So as we talk about these personal experiences, how we know the Father, one of the ways is through the personal spiritual practice of giving to God, giving to God, learning to develop the habit of generously trusting Father. By lovingly obeying him, he calls us to acknowledge his ownership of our lives by giving him something called a tithe. The first 10% of all that he gives us is meant to be given back to him, and thus he who sees in secret will reward us with a deepening experience with himself. So that is one way. It is by giving. Another way is through this thing called prayer, the spiritual practice of praying, learning to develop the habit of generous or graciously approaching Father by lovely, by, by lovingly obeying him, he calls us to converse with him. And we do this using this thing called the Lord's Prayer as a model. And I don't know about you, but I have been using that in my daily time with the Lord, and it has revolutionized my time with the Lord. As I sit in his presence, as I go to Daddy daily, if you will, and I talk to him about his name, I talk to him about his kingdom, I talk to him about his will, how I want those things to be realized in my life, 
I've, I've learned that all the things we then ask of him are actually connected to his ability to want to make those things real in our experience. So if you haven't been using the Lord's Prayer as kind of a model for, for prayer, I want to encourage you to. It's about his name, his kingdom, his will in our lives. And he who sees in secret will reward you with a deepening experience of himself. And then last week, we talked about this third of these spiritual practices, and that is the practice of fasting, learning to develop the habit of greatly desiring Father by lovingly obeying him as he calls us to loosen our attachment to this world and to grow in our attachment to the next. As citizens of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ, we are only called to be pilgrims and wanderers here, never becoming too comfortable. And that's what fasting reminds us of. Uh, it's just not the Sermon on the Mount series without a quote from C.S. Lewis. So let me throw it in here. I'll actually throw in one later too, but let me throw one in here on this idea of how deeply we need God. Uh, Lewis says this, God designed the human machine, us, to run on himself. He is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were to feed on. And we talked last week how prayer and fasting, prayer is laying hold of the Father, and fasting is letting go of the world. I don't know if you've been practicing or, or trying to understand that in your experience this past week, but again, between praying the Lord's Prayer as a model and fasting, I have discovered a brand new door into my experience of the Father. It has been personally rewarding, and I pray that you are too. If you haven't been doing these things, step into them. Because I know the Father wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to have your own personal, profound experiences of him. And so he who sees in secret will reward us with a deepening experience of himself. So, we are now coming to this next section. And this next section is actually answering a question. And the question is this. What about you? What about you? Are you experiencing the Father in your life? You see, Jesus wasn't speaking into a vacuum. Jesus was speaking into a, a, a particular environment. When he was standing there overlooking the Sea of Galilee, speaking to this crowd of people, in their minds, they had this sense of the pinnacle of spirituality were the religious leaders of their day. These guys were amazing. I mean, we had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the lawyers. These guys were good at what they did. These were the guys everybody looked up to. The only problem with these people, their spiritual leaders, the pinnacle of what it means to know God, is they didn't know God. They didn't know God. You see, they had memorized the Torah. They, they knew every word, and they knew all the interpretations of the various rabbis down through the centuries. They had memorized all of that. And they had all these religious practices that they were so good at, they were polished professionals. They could do all these things. They knew all this stuff, and yet they didn't know God. Jesus said this. He said that your lips praise me, but your hearts are far from me. Another time Jesus said this, if you really love the Father, you would love me because I have been sent by the Father. But they killed him. Jesus kind of put his foot on their neck and pushed down when he said this, and you are of your father, the, the devil. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. You mean you can know all this religious stuff? You can memorize vast portions of the Bible? You can do all these religious practices and at the same time not even know God? It's very possible. Very possible. In fact, it was true in Jesus' day. He referred to these people as hypocrites. They were play actors. They were self-deceived. And so now as Jesus transitions out of um, this intimate relationship with the Father built around giving and prayer and fasting, he's going to kind of push it down, and he's asking the question, do you really know him? These are times for self-assessment. 
What he's about to do in this next section, it's, it's a number of commands that he gives. We're only going to look at one of them today, but a number of commands he gives. But each one is kind of given by way of, of, of self-assessment. Each one's given by way of self-examination. Do I really know the Father? But I read the Bible. But I come to church. I didn't ask you that. Do you really know the Father? That's where we're heading as we consider this next section as we talk about the imperatives of the good life. Today we're going to look at the first of these commands that Jesus gives. And it's found in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, 19 through 24. We're going to read this, pray together, and then we're going to start to unpack these uh, self-assessments. Jesus said this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now he gives us another illustration. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or diseased, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24 is a simple statement. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? That's right. Let's pray together. Father, as we walk into uh, these words of your Son, first, I want to thank you that the Holy Spirit has preserved them for us today. And I want to thank you that the same Spirit of God that moved Christ and preserved the Word is with us right now. And so my prayer, Father, is that you would allow your Spirit to take your Word and bring it to bear on our hearts. Lord, as we do self-assessments, it's so easy to be self-deceived. I pray that you might break through um, these things in our hearts and our minds and help us to honestly assess our relationship with the Father. I ask this, Father, in your name, for your glory. Amen. 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 So, as we move into this section on the imperatives, again, an imperative is a command verb. Uh, in the first one, uh, Jesus is basically saying this. He's giving us a question of loyalty. The question of loyalty. Where do your loyalties truly lie? What is it that you ultimately trust in? What is it that you ultimately give allegiance to? Jesus is going to help us to assess if our true loyalties and allegiance reside with us, or if our true loyalties and allegiance are truly with Christ and the Father. So let's start to unpack this. So Jesus basically gives us uh, two interesting tests. First is a heart test. The second is an eye test. And with a heart test and the eye test, he's going to help us do this basic evaluation. So let's begin with the heart test. Jesus said this, not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, let me see if I can make this clear the way Jesus is expressing it. Uh, the word do not lay up, that, that little section right there, this is the imperative. This is a command. And so Jesus is basically saying this, quit it. Quit it. Quit laying up for yourselves treasure on earth. Now, let me modify this just a little bit more because the translation can be even clearer. The word lay up actually can be translated treasure, treasure. So what he is saying is this, quit treasuring up your treasures on earth. Stop treasuring up these things that are simply here. Now, this is important right after what he has just said. So in one breath, Jesus has been saying this, and your father who sees in secret will reward you, and your father who sees in secret will reward you, and your father who sees in secret will reward you, and the reward is him. 
He is our reward. He is that which we long for. He is that which we desire to experience. So he is in heaven. And so coming right off that phrase with the next breath, quit laying up, quit treasuring up, treasures on earth. He's calling us to change our focus. Where are we truly treasuring? Is it the Father or is it here? Where are our true valuables? So he gives us two illustrations, and one is a treasury on earth, and the other is a treasury that is in heaven. Now, treasuries, again, are designed to hold valuables. It is where we put the things that are most precious to us. And he says it is very possible for us to put our greatest values and our greatest possessions, those things which mean the most to us, in this treasury called the world. Don't we know this to be oh so true? I mean, we live in this world, right? How many live here? Yeah, yeah, I think we all do. We live and move and have our being in a very tangible, a very sensual world. And so the temptation is, even as a child of God, is to have only this sense of life, simply moving around in all the tangible things of life. And this becomes all of our life. So the true values of our life are really here. But his admonition is, actually, it really should be there. So, do you know the Father? Or is this really all you really know? So he's pushing us down. You know, um, we're in dangerous territory when all we can do is think about, what am I going to buy next? How am I going to make my house a little better? How am I going to find this thing? How am I going to get that? You know, um, how many of us like to watch HGTV? Yeah. Do you know what my favorite show on that is lately? Tiny House. I really like that idea. And, you know, we're getting to that kind of part where, you know, our kid's off to school another, another year, and we're going to be just Bambi and I. And I'm thinking, honey, Tiny House living really sounds good to me. She's like, I don't know, Bill. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so... So, but we watch these shows and they, they fill up our minds and they, 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 they take up all of our thought life. And we start to think, oh my goodness, uh, okay, and we start researching and Googling and trying to figure all this out. And so we spend all our time thinking about this. And then we spend all our time acquiring this. And then we spend all of our time paying for this. Now notice I didn't put paying for this before acquiring this. Uh, because we don't. You know, what we do is we have credit cards and we have loans, right? That's how we do life here. Uh, so we actually are mortgaging our futures to have it now, but we're not just mortgaging our futures. We may even be mortgaging eternity in an effort to have these things now. By the way, do you know credit? How many have a credit card? Yeah, that's how we live and move and have our being in the today's society. Do you know the word credit comes from the French verb to be? So it's actually a make-believe card. Did you know that? Yeah, so here, swipe it. Make believe. I can get again. I can get another one. I can get another. Then the bill comes. Oh my gosh. So we gotta be careful of these make believe cards. And and, and so um, we we think about this stuff, we we acquire this stuff, we work for this stuff, we maintain this stuff. I spent all day yesterday, all day yesterday cleaning my yard. I hated every single minute of it. I'm sorry. I know there are people here that just love gardening, love working on it. I have like 75, 75 foot trees. Every time the wind blows, stuff comes down. And when it comes time to raking the lawn at the end of the year, it takes us weeks to get it all. Drives me nuts. But, you know, we do that because we have to maintain what we have. So we spend all our time thinking about this stuff. We spend all of our time acquiring this stuff. We spend all of our time working for this stuff. We spend all of our time maintaining this stuff. And then we have to protect it. We have to insure it. And by the way, we got a gun in our house in case somebody breaks in to steal some of it, we'll shoot them. That's how that goes, isn't it? Because this is what we value. It's all right here. That's really all we see and, and, and know is what is right here in front of us. Do you know, Jesus basically says that if that's true of you, and I think it's probably true of many of us, that if everything we have, all that we're truly treasuring is in this treasury called this world, 
Jesus says basically two things about us. Two things. First thing he says right here in the text is, we're not too smart. We're not too smart. Do not treasure up for yourselves treasures or that which is precious on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal it. So if this is everything, if this is the treasury of our lives, if this is where we put all our effort and all our thinking, we're really not too smart because everything in this world is subject to loss. If not by moth or by rust or by thieves, then by death, all of it goes away. One person put it this way, everything here is cursed. Wow. Everything here is cursed with temporality and transience. He went on to say this, When I die, I will take out just as much as I brought in with me, which is, that's it. That's it. What a crummy investment. If we spend all our time doing this here, that's stupid. Because it's all going to go. You know, the old saying is, there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. It, it just doesn't work that way. You can't take it with you. It just doesn't work that way. But what Jesus goes on to say is, by the way, you can send it on ahead. Notice what he says in verse 20. But treasure up. The idea is, is to treasure up what you treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust will destroy it, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus is not condemning possessions or wealth, but he's making a statement about being wise and not being deceived. Being wise and not being deceived. You see, what you keep, what I keep for myself and consume upon myself, I lose forever. But what I give to God and his kingdom work, I will have forever. Forever. Talk about what's the best investments of life. It is not the acquisition of things here. It's not to get here. It is to give there. That is the wisest thing anyone can do if they truly know the Father and understand how life works. I'm going to have you help me out here. Hopefully this will kind of help put a nail in it, help us remember this. I would like this section to say, repeat after me, if I keep it, one more time. Okay, this section over here, I lose it. One more time. Okay, here we go. Forever. Forever. Now, let's see if we can't do this again. Repeat after me. If I give it, I keep it. Forever. You see, that's how that works. If we keep it and consume it upon ourselves, which is what the world does, everybody's doing that. But the child of God is meant to be different because we have a relationship with the Father, which changes everything. We know all this stuff is passing away and that his mission and kingdom are what matter, so we invest in those things. And in investing it, we end up giving it to the Father. So let me uh, just... Take this one more, one more little step. Um, my daddy gave me a dollar. You see, the Bible says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. So my daddy gave me a dollar. Uh, he gave me the intellect. He gave me the opportunity. He gave me all the things that it takes for me to be able to have a job and to make an income. So all of it comes from him. So my daddy gave me a dollar. Now what do I do with a dollar? Well, um, in just a few moments, I could actually walk out these doors, walk down the hallway, and I could plunk it down in the cafe and say, give me a donut. And I could eat the donut. That dollar is forever gone. Or I could take this dollar and hang on to it for a few hours. And I could go out to lunch uh, this afternoon, and it's gone. Uh, I could actually take this dollar and hang on to it for a few days or weeks or months, actually put a few more with it, and I could go out and buy a piece of furniture or a car. But in so doing, it's gone forever. I could actually take this and put this in my retirement account, and it could be around for years and years and years earning this much interest. 
And then when I get old enough, which is not very far away, um, I will take it out and then I will spend it and it will be gone forever. You see, what we keep and consume on ourselves, we lose forever. But what we give to God and for the kingdom's work, we keep forever. Forever. And I actually kind of wrote out what that means. Forever is something like this. 50 billion million millennia from now, I will have it with interest. 30, 60, 100 fold. I will never lose it. I will have it forever. But those kinds of thoughts, that kind of thinking doesn't happen naturally. This is revelation. This is how we live and move and have our being because we know the Father. And the Father tells us all this stuff goes away. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ lasts. So this is revelation. We live off the word of the Father. We live off the words of God. And so on the one hand, if we're all about treasuring up this treasure here, valuing these things here, not only are we not too smart, but we also reveal our heart. Notice what it says. For where your treasure is, there your what? That's right. You see, this is an opportunity for evaluation for you. He has given us some of the most tangible things in life for us to consider right now. All that you have, is it about you having it and having more of it? Or do you understand that all you have comes from the Father and you're trying to find more ways to give it? This life is not about getting. That's the world's thinking. This world is about giving. That's what it means to know the Father. You know, uh, I'm going to make a strong statement and afterward you can come up here and, and accost me. If you say, I love God, and you're not tithing or generous in how you distribute the funds God puts in your hands, either you're self-deceived or you're lying. That's just true. Because if God is the one that you are ultimately investing your life in. His simple command is to honor him in these ways. And if we're not doing that, then this is an assessment opportunity. Maybe you found a breach in your own heart that you need to confess. That you need to say, Father, forgive me. I now understand. You asked me to do this. I'm all in. No more holding back. The Pharisees were deceived. They thought they knew God. They knew it all. They even went through all these practices, but they didn't even know the Father. One of the ways we know that we know him is that we see this life for what it really is, and we're willing to invest in him and the kingdom, not merely in our own kingdom. This is powerful stuff. Jesus makes this stuff really salty, doesn't he? It's right down there where we can taste it. Don't let this moment get away from you. Do you really know the Father? That's the heart test. The heart test. Let's move on. And uh, actually, let me just uh, put this slide in here. When we talk about giving, um, God doesn't need your money. Can we just agree? God doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, wealth in every mine. Uh, you know, the Bible, or the Bible, scientists actually tell us that there are some stars out there that are solid diamond. Uh, and so I'm not worried about God needing my money. But the reason why God tells us, commands us to give is because he knows our hearts. And when we have abundance and all of these things, things are good and wonderful and all this stuff, we can actually get prideful about that and think we did it. But it's by giving the first of everything back to the Lord that we keep ourselves in this constant reminder, all I have comes from him. And so this is actually for our benefit, not God's. So the idea of giving. Moving along, let's look at the second test. <clears throat> we consider first the uh, test of uh, the heart, and now we have an eye test. Now, this illustration's just a little harder to follow, uh, but let's see if we can't get down this path together. Um, 
the eye test. The eye test is really about two perspectives, two perspectives. And so um, Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then the light in you will be darkness. And how great is that darkness? Now, the imagery here is a little more complex, so it goes something like this. The eye is the lamp. The eye is the lamp for the body. Uh, another way that maybe we can understand that a little better would be something like this. The eye is the window of our soul. Can we get that idea a little better? The eye is the window to our soul. And if the eye is healthy, if the window to your soul is clear and undistorted, then the light, I believe, the light of God's revelation, the light of God's truth, can make entrance into your soul. And notice what he says, your whole body will now be filled with light. So when the Father speaks through revelation, if our eye is truly healthy, if our eye is truly um, in a good working order, then what the Father says to us, we naturally take in, it goes into our lives, and it comes out in our actions. So we know we're in good stead with the Father when we're responsive to his voice. When the light of his revelation hits our eye, gets into our soul, and we want to live it out and animate it. But on the other hand, if your eye is bad, the idea is that the eye is diseased, that it's not working correctly, then your whole body will be filled with darkness. Now, if you will, the window to our soul has spiritual cataracts on it. The window to our soul is diseased. The window to our soul is myopic. In other words, all we can see is right here. We can't really see anything more than ourselves. If that's the case, then the light of God's truth cannot get through the opaqueness of our vision. It can't make entrance into our life. And that which is meant to be light only becomes darkness. And if that light is darkness, how great is your darkness because you're not responsive to the Word of God? This is what he's talking about. Two different perspectives on life. One perspective sees the Father, hears his word, is responsive and desirous to do the will of the Father. The other perspective is, it's really about me. It's really about my life. It's really about getting what I want. It's really about doing what I please. It's really about my will. If that is how your eye is, how great is your darkness? For it has no entrance of the revelation of God. So he is setting up these two perspectives. You know, I believe it is Satan's great ploy, his great joy, to do everything he can in the lives of God's children to get us disillusioned, to get us to a place where we have distorted perceptions of life. The Bible says this, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Did you know that, God, that Satan is the god of this, this world? Now God reigns supreme. He has a plan to ultimately expel Satan and to bring his kingdom. Amen? But in the meanwhile, Satan is very active in trying to distort our view and understanding of life. And he will do everything he can to get our eyes on pleasures and allurements that ultimately cause us to lose our focus on the Father and on Christ and his mission and to waste our lives. This is his great ploy. This is his great plan. Uh, okay, it's time for another one of these uh, statements from one of these uh, holy dead guys. A.W. Tozer. The devil loves it when we say we believe and then prioritize everything in our lives ahead of God. And Satan is desiring to do that in all of our lives. He wants you to say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. And then just go on and live your life because you become a slogan for him in the world of what it means to be a Christian. He loves it. He loves it. Satan is powerful, and his allurements are powerful. Last Sunday, uh, after um, a very long day, uh, my habit is to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to prepare for Sunday morning. And so I got up at 3 o'clock last Sunday morning, and then I came in here and spoke two services. 
And then we took my son Elisha and uh, Michelle Kaiser uh, to the airport where they went on to Operation Barnabas OB, where they've been on this week. And, and so uh, by the time we finally got home, Bambi and I did, it was like 4.30 in the afternoon. And at about that time, after a long day, I'm toast. You know, I'm just, I'm done. Uh, stick a fork in me, I'm, I'm complete. Um, so what I tend to do when I veg is I do what all of us do. I plunk myself down on the couch, I grab the remote, and I turn something on. And, you know, entertainment is for nothing. You know, it's, 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 it's emptiness. And so it's just, uh, I was at that point. I was kind of drooling on myself and everything. It was kind of unpleasant. So I, I kind of get like that. So last Sunday, I did this. And as I'm, I'm watching this whatever, um, it was actually a, a, a show called Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. How many know what that is? Okay, yeah, more in this group than the earlier group. That doesn't surprise me. So it's, it's based on some teen novels. And so they made a couple of these movies. And so I'm sitting here watching this, and I'm like, you know, it's just nothing. It's just whatever it is. And all of a sudden, I'm watching it, and it's like, oh, my gosh. There's one little scene in that movie that does such a beautiful job of capturing exactly the ploy of the devil. And it's, it's where Percy, uh, Percy Jackson goes on a quest. Now, the whole thing is about quests. That's what they do. And so he's on this quest, a time-sensitive mission. And this quest takes them to the Lotus Casino in Las Vegas. And when they walk through the doors of this casino, all of a sudden the allurements in there numb them to everything meaningful in life. Let me just show you a quick little segment of it. Um, it's pretty powerful and we'll unpack it. Mm, mm, that's really good. Mm, wow, this is the most delicious mm. thing I've ever consumed. time-sensitive mission right now. <laughs> Aren't we? I can't remember. <laughs> I totally forgot what I was going to say. I think I figured it out. I think I know why we're here. Why are we here? To have fun. OK. Let's never leave. Yeah. Let's stay here. <laughs> no. I'm going to go get some air. I'll be right back. So Satan has the Lotus Casino. It's called the world. And everywhere we go, we're being offered another enticement. Here, take a bite. Come on, try this one. How about this one? Oh, that's wonderful. That's delicious. That tastes so good. All of a sudden, our eyes start to get a little bleary. And I thought we were on a time-sensitive mission called the gospel. I thought people are dying and going to hell. I thought we only have a certain period of time to reach out into this life and to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Oh, don't worry about it. We're only here to have fun, right? 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 No. No. This life for the child of God is not about just having fun. That's called eternity in the presence of God. That's glory. This is a mission. We're on mission. But every time we turn around, there's some other allurement. There's one more thing. There's something else. Try this. Buy that. Have this. Experience that. What's your bucket list? Do you want to know my bucket list? It's that long. 
but I'm going to fulfill it in the kingdom. I'm not going to do it now. Why would I waste my time and money now to fill a bucket list? It doesn't make any sense. All of this stuff allures us, draws us away, and ultimately it imprisons us exactly where the devil wants us. Just as they're about to leave this casino, Percy Jackson walks by this guy who's playing a pinball machine. How many know what a pinball machine is? Yeah, okay, okay. Most of us play video games. Uh, so pinball machine. And, and so he's playing this pinball machine, and it's called the French Connection. And so Percy Jackson asks the guy playing, he goes, have you seen the movie? And the guy goes, I plan to when it comes out. He said, but it came out in 1971. The movie came out in 2010. This guy had been playing a game for 39 years and didn't even know it. We can waste our lives playing all of these games, all of these pleasures, all of these enticements, and all the while forget that we're on a time-sensitive mission. And that mission is the will of God for the kingdom of God to exalt the name of the Father. That's our mission. Oh, please, go back to the Lord's Prayer and start to think your way through the Father's name, the Father's kingdom, the Father's will. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. And so we have two perspectives. One is the Father in the perspective of the clean eye, the clear eye, that takes the revelation into our lives and we live it out. The other is a diseased eye, one that only can see right here, right now. Life is about having a party and a good time and get all the stuff you can while you can. But it's not the truth. It's in relationship with the Father that these things become clear, that these things become real. If then the light in you is darkness, if the revelation of God's word doesn't impact and get into your soul, how great is the darkness? There may be a good chance that if the light and truth of God's word is not making entrance into your life and transforming you, there's a very good chance that you are spiritually blind or dead. The Pharisees were. They thought they got it, but Jesus' teachings exposed them. What are Jesus' words saying to you? So there is the heart test and the eye test. And then Jesus summarizes, and I'm going to push by this next image. Jesus summarizes these, these concepts, these thoughts, with this final statement. And notice what he says in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Would you agree with that? No one can fully serve two masters, two owners. And then he goes on just to make it, to show you how nonsensical it is to even consider that. For you'll either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted one and you'll despise the other. You just can't do it. You can't have both. Two masters. And so he ends with this statement. You cannot serve God and what? Now, the word money there is actually from uh, the, the Aramaic word, which was transliterated into the Greek, which is the word mammon. I believe the King James uses that word mammon, which is a good word. It actually is more than money. Mammon is that which we put our confidence in. It is that which we put our confidence in. So Jesus is asking us about our loyalties. Does God the Father own your life? If he does, you are his doulos, his slave, his servant, and it's a blessed servanthood. Are you committed to following Jesus Christ in loving obedience and doing good out of a heart that is becoming good in him? Are you investing in heaven? Are you embracing God's truth as light and seeing it lived out in generosity towards others? Are you committed to a secret life of worshiping the Father in giving, prayer, and fasting? Is that where your loyalties lie? Or do your loyalties remain with you? It is my life. I'll determine what I want to do, where I want to go, and I'll do it without consulting God, thank you. It is my life. 
You have your own plans, your own agenda. And sure, you may give God a tip of a hat on Sundays when it's convenient or a tip in the offering plate when you have a few extra bucks in your pocket, but it's your life and you're going to do with it as you desire. Where do your loyalties lie? You see, it is one way or the other. You cannot have it both ways. That's Jesus' point. Either it's your way and it's not his way, or it's his way and it's not your way. You cannot have it both ways. You say, that sounds awful austere. You're being too literal, Pastor Bill. No, I'm just stating the truth as Jesus gave it. I want to close with just these thoughts from a man of God that I highly appreciate. His name is Francis Chan. Hear how he puts these thoughts. What's the obvious truth of this book? And the, the, the arguments I've had where, where uh, you, you know, people have said, you know, one guy, I've been in my church for like 15 years, ever since it started. I thought I was one of the key guys. And, and he comes to me, you know, just, just not too long ago, and he goes, you know, Francis, here's the problem with you. He goes, you think everyone needs to be this radical. You, you think that Jesus calls us all to be radicals. He, he, goes, he goes, you know, you, you think there's just these, these few radicals. And, and, and he goes, you know, there's this, you got to understand, there's, a, there's this middle road where, where, you know, people, you know, they profess Christ and they do some good things. And it's like you're, 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 you're neglecting that whole middle road. Did you guys know that? There's a narrow road that leads to life. There's a wide road that leads to destruction. And now there's this new middle road. See, I didn't know that. Like a carpool lane. It's just this this weird new road we created where you can just do some good things in the name of Jesus and still hold... It's... it's, you know, you know, you just go, you're serious right now. You're dead serious. You found a middle road. I, I, you guys, I, I, I'm not a real, you got to understand, those who know me know that I'm not a real complicated guy. I, 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 I tend to think like a kid. I tend to just go, wow, that seems like what it says. You know, I, I, I remember when, uh, when I was a kid, we used to play this game called Follow the Leader. Remember that? I mean, some of you guys don't because you just played video games. And you, 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 but we used to play this game called Follow the Leader, where the leader, you know, flaps his wings and you do the same thing. And it, it was easy. You, you just do what the leader did. And it's so weird how in the church we've twisted this. And follow Jesus is a different game. You don't really have to flap your wings. You don't accent. You can just sit there and do it in your heart. Seriously. You know, when I read the scriptures, it says, man, whoever claims to, to, to know him must, must walk as Jesus walked. But we go, well, no, I'm doing that in my heart. You're like the kid sitting on the recliner going, no, I'm flapping my wings in my heart. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It's, 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 it, we, we distort things because of what we want. You know, remember, you remember Simon says? That was easy, right? Simon says, pat your head. But Jesus says it's a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you, you, you just have to memorize it. That's what we do in the church. If Jesus said, you just got to study it. You, you just got to, you, you just have to be able to quote it in the Greek. You, you just, it's, 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 it has nothing to do with, hey, Jesus says. You, look, look, when my daughter, you know, comes to me and I go, look, go clean your room. She knows better than to come back a few hours later and goes, dad. I memorized what you said. <clears throat> I can say it in Greek. In fact, some of my friends, we're going to sit and come over and we're going to do a little study on what it would look like to clean my room. It just, it's not making sense to me. And, and all I can say is that we're twisting things. We do. We do in the church. And we, we create this little way where we don't actually have to do what Jesus called us to do. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. 
that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many, many as most. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You see, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Take these truths, let them kind of turn around in your soul and in your spirit and let the Holy Spirit analyze your life. Do you really know the Father? Do you have a personal, growing, developing relationship where your eye is clear and the light is coming in and it's radically changing your life? Or are you just going through the motions? Are you just putting in time, building your kingdom here and not even concerned about his kingdom to come? What is true of you? The Pharisees thought they had it down cold. They didn't. They were deceived. Let me pray for us. While I'm praying, I'm going to invite the band to come on up, finish our time together. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, uh, I thank you that Jesus was not content to just push by the truth of knowing the Father without making us think about it. It's too easy just to move our way through this very harried, busy world and just get a little here, a little there, and just think we're good to go. But I thank you, he pushes truth down, makes it very uncomfortable, because to assess and examine our own hearts is a big challenge. But I pray that none of us would even walk out of here today without the assurance that we truly know the Father and that what we do is for him and by the kingdom and for his name and according to his will. And not just us. Not just us. Take these words, use them in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.